0: Episode, this extra special American episode of the Good Dude Podcast. I'm Joe Thomas, I'm your host, and today we're going to be focusing on some interesting things about the American Revolution. You know, a lot of things I wasn't aware of until I started looking into it a little bit more. Some things we take for granted, you know, but things that are really good to understand and know, just kind of know where we came from and, and the life that people had to live to get us to where we are today, which is top of the heap best country in the world no doubt about it just take a trip pretty much anywhere else spend some time there outside of a resort resorts are spectacular no matter what country you're in but if you get to know the day-to-days you'll see how much better we have it than the rest of the world when you think about all the things that had to happen for us to be a united nation it's pretty impressive that we were able to make all this work So let's just dig right into it. Um, The first thing I think that is is really interesting when you start to look at it from a historical perspective is that we were a colony of the the Great Britain, of the United Kingdom, for 170 years before the revolution. So it wasn't like folks came over here from England and were like, okay, we're going to have our own country, never mind, guys we were living this way or as colonists for a really really long time several generations before anyone even got the idea to to break off onto their own so it wasn't a spur-of-the-moment thing like kind of I believed or had in my mind how okay we started some colonies and then we became independent it was a much much longer process of colonial rule for a very long time and kind of part of that was interesting as I started researching what actually caused the American Revolution you know you always hear about like taxation without representation right that's that's the line that you always get in school but what's really cool is that at the time the colonists had the highest standard of living of anywhere else in the world we had more money and less taxes than anybody else in the United Kingdom and what's really cool is when you look at the tax ratings so I was able to find that the average colonist paid approximately one shilling a year in taxes. I don't know how much that is. It doesn't really matter. It's all kind of relative. But one shilling per year, right? Well, the average British citizen that lived in England paid 26 shillings a year. So we were paying 126th of what the average British citizen was paying at that time. So you would think everything would be cool and everybody would be happy. But what really kind of got everybody going was when the, the, the parliament of Great Britain at the time was fighting wars in different countries and, and having to pay for them. And there were some invasions. There was lots of things going on. Had to increase troops and materials and yada, yada, yada. So somebody had to pay for them. So they saw the colonists as additional revenue. And basically, they were like, well, we're going to start taxing stuff for you that hasn't been taxed in the past. And they passed these these taxes, primarily the Stamp Act, the sugar tax, and the tea tax are kind of the most famous. And the Stamp Act, which really sounds hokey, was basically said, no one can buy any paper that hasn't been regulated by the government or else they would be fined pretty severely, sometimes even jail time. So you know they basically said, you have to buy paper from us or you can't do it and anybody caught not buying paper from us is going to be in trouble the sugar act was more about uh, sugar tax was a little bit more about export so sugar was a big export of the united states at the time and great britain kind of limited the trading options for the colonists to say you have to bring you have to take all your sugar here you can't sell it anywhere else it's got to come to us and then they apply taxes on that as well and so you know, without consulting the colonists at all, they just did these things, which really upset most of the business owners, as you can imagine. I mean, they were just like, "Here, you got to pay this stuff, and you got to buy from us, and you can't sell it to anybody else, and you don't get a say in it." So they were really upset about that. But what was really interesting that I found out, those were later repealed even before the revolution began. So you know, the the Parliament folks and and the King even said, "Hey, these are bad ideas. We're going to pull them back. Are bad." But it basically set the tone of concern for all the colonists to say, hey, we don't have any rights at all. They can just do whatever they want. And they kind of built on that, which led to the tea tax, which, you know, Boston Tea Party and so on and so forth. It's just very famous. But it was just really cool to kind of see the background of that, you know, how much more everybody else was paying in taxes than we were. And then we were ticked off when they started taxing us. But it's just interesting to see, you know, what what the difference was and and what kind of spurred that along. Um, something else I thought was was pretty cool was that only about a third of the population actually supported revolution. So, you know, you've got thirty three percent of the people are like, yeah, let's break away, let's go to war, let's do all that, and then you have another third that was solely committed to the to the empire, to the to Great Britain and the King, and were loyalists. And then you have this middle third that was just trying to stay out of the way, you know, who usually can't. They got to pick a side at some point. But, you know, really, if you think about that in today's terms, if you just had, you know, not even one of the major parties. So, like, you know, half of the Republican Party or, you know, or half of the Democratic Party just said, you know, we're going to revolt. And then the rest of the country just gets dragged along with it. It's pretty staggering when you think of not even a majority of the population population actually wanted to do this and that created this whole war where you know a lot of people were killed and the world changed essentially so just something to think about and and kind of roll around when you're looking at it from a a perspective of today another really cool thing or funny thing i thought was that no one actually ever said the british are coming so at the time they were all british everybody considered themselves you know citizens of great britain so they wouldn't have said that because they would have been very confused as to who they were talking about, um, you know, and then there's a lot of a lot of historical debate on what actually happened with Paul Revere's Midnight Ride, and there were other people involved, and Revere may not have even actually made it all the way. So, you know, there's a lot of kind of hokiness that goes along with that, but most likely what they said or what was the message was passed was the Regulars are coming. Because the Redcoats at the time were referred to as regulars because they served in the regular military. They weren't militia. They weren't rebels. So that was the term that was used at the time. Then another kind of funny word situation or or wordplay issue. The word independence never actually appears in the Declaration of Independence. The official title is the Unanimous Declaration of the 13 United States of America which is really hilarious because I didn't know that it ever said that at the top. I always assumed it said the Declaration of Independence right up there at the top, but it does not. And so I reviewed that, looked at it, and I feel lied to by uh, the movie National Treasure. It's really hurt me. I, I felt like that movie was was very factual and, and informative, and now just I can't trust anything. So I'm not really sure how I feel about that. <laughs> um, Another kind of interesting terminology or wordplay was uh, the term patriot. So up until the beginning of the war, if you were referred to as a patriot, it was an insult. Someone It was very offensive. It basically meant that, that you were a rebel, a revolutionary. You wanted to break away from the government. You were a bad person, um, You know, not someone to be admired. Well, then after the revolution, obviously the definition changed significantly, at least as we perceive it so you know the the words at the time meant a lot of different things to a lot of different people so it's kind of neat to look back and see how that worked out Uh, another really cool thing that i liked is i'm a big george washington fan um i think he was an amazing leader and uh, did some amazing things uh, with very very short staffed and undermanned i you know it's just staggering when you look at the numbers of fighters that he actually had so his army was about a third the size of of England's forces in the United States or in the colonies at the time you know and anybody that starts a fight down you know 3 to 1 is is a uh, looking for a loss honestly you you never go in with those kinds of odds but he was able to make it work and uh he you know obviously became our first president well there's lots of historical debate on people asking him to become our king and you know, and there's this back and forth of there's no actual proof, it's not written anywhere, yada yada yada. But I think it makes sense, and I, I really like this version of history. You know, if you've had a king your entire life, your entire existence has always been under a king, almost all the other countries in the world had a king at that time, it makes sense that you would want to replace something with something you're familiar with, not just throw out completely everything you've learned from the past. And so I like to think that they actually did ask him to be the king and that he was the kind of man who said, No, I, I don't want to be the king. I mean, there's a very famous quote that says, you know, I didn't overthrow George the Third to become George the Fourth. But you know, once again, historical facts are kind of hazy when it comes to that actual quote but I, I personally really like that quote i think it's very informative as to his character and and meets with the other things that you hear about him you know the historical fact is that he was asked to run for a third term after his second term as president which he declined and then again asked to run for a third term after john adams which was, he also declined at that time as well so i mean he he was the kind of man to understand you know i've i've served it's time to move on. We need to, you know, we need some turnover. The reason we're in the situation that we have right now is because people were stagnant. They were in place for too long. And so he understood that and his honor and character wouldn't let him become a despot, uh, you know, a ruler, a, a monarch, which I think is really cool. And I think that's very American. You know, that that's kind of the first American ideal is that we serve our country, which is there to serve our citizens. And, um, you know, that's that's very unique throughout the world that, that that was something that didn't exist before America, which I think is really cool. Uh, the Purple Heart uh, was was the first or the oldest U.S. military decoration. General George Washington actually gave out the first one uh, himself, which is really cool. He, you know, he developed the the recognition and he wanted to make sure that our injured soldiers were recognized for for their sacrifice. and. I think it's really cool that, you know, people today get Purple Hearts and just like they did during the first days of the American Revolution. And it's something that we can tie back to that history of of being a warrior and and serving your country and and making that sacrifice. The uh, something I really didn't know, or I guess I kind of knew, but I I never really, I guess I took it for granted. uh, The American Revolution really became a global war. It, you know it's not referred to as a world war but it was fought on several different continents so they uh, they had battles in North America obviously Europe Africa India and in the Caribbean so I mean you're talking all over you know as much as in World War two um, or at the very least World War one and you look at the countries involved so you had you know the colonists you have the French Spanish German the Dutch and obviously the British and and they all had Pretty significant commitments to this this struggle. So you know you're looking at about seven thousand Americans were killed in action, uh, ten thousand French, five thousand Spanish, six thousand British, and eighteen hundred Germans. You know, so that's I mean, when you look at those numbers, that's that's a lot of commitment from those countries. And it some of it was you know piling on so most of the most of the countries were on the American side because they didn't like the British I mean for no other reason than to take Great Britain down a notch I mean that's that's essentially the long and the short of it they saw an opportunity to kinda of pop them in the mouth and say hey maybe you maybe ought to leave everybody alone and so it, it behooved them to to jump in on the American side and then uh, but you know when you really look at, at everything that happened afterwards Almost every country came out better than when they went in. You know, they, they developed long-standing relationships and, and good trading opportunities, and it's it's really a, a strange conflict in that you know most of the countries ended up in a better place financially, economically speaking, than than they went in. And, you know, most wars aren't like that. Usually one country comes in and dominates the other and then just takes over and the dominated country is just left in ruins. But, you know, this really wasn't the case. And so it's it's really kind of neat to think about. Something else to take into account, and I know almost everybody's heard this before, is that most most of the casualties during the revolution were due to disease. And that's true. But what I didn't grasp was the volume. So there, you know, like I read off the... the KIA uh, killed in action numbers earlier. You're looking at about 30,000 were killed in action. Over 100,000 people have been estimated to have died during disease or due to disease during the war. So I mean, less than a third of the casualties were were due to combat, and that is just a staggering number. I mean, when you think about 100,000 people dying to disease smallpox was a big one but you know there were other ways to die I mean at the time get an infection and you just don't make it and so you know when you think about lining up against across from your enemy and just shooting them from 10 yards away and hoping everything works out really the most dangerous thing about the time was just being alive you just didn't live that long Um, and that's also one one kinda neat fact about the American Revolution and how the Americans were able to be successful so very early on George Washington understood that smallpox was one of their primary enemies. And so he and John Adams really worked hard to develop and and institute a smallpox vaccine for their troops, which really helped them maintain their level of combat readiness. And it's funny because, you know, you always think about George Washington crossing the Delaware and, you know, the big warrior combatant, which he certainly was, no doubt. But his strides and logistics and planning and development of, of those kinds of vaccines and seeing everything else that encompasses warfare was just way before his time. I mean, it's, it's still hard for people to do today. And he was able to see that so masterfully and execute that to his advantage. So that, that was another just really cool thing about him that I've been very impressed with. So... Those are just some interesting things that I think about the American Revolution. There were infinitely more. I mean, it's really hard to say. I think another whole rabbit hole you can jump down was the uh, espionage. I mean, it is just crazy. All the stuff, like all the different codes and ciphers and spies. I mean, there are there are people that they still don't know who they were. They they found them in journals listed as agent, you know, 655 and um there were there were female spies one one female spy was was responsible for basically outing benedict benedict arnold you know a famous traitor, and no one knows who she is she's listed as an agent number in some journal and that's the only reason they know who she was or at all that she existed and it's just crazy to think about you know like cia stuff happening back in the day when they had muskets and those crazy triangle hats and stuff you know but that that was big time going on and George Washington was right in the middle of that he led the spy ring you know that was all his motivation and and his his guidance getting those people in the right places to get that information because he saw the value of that and and understood you know how important that was to the overall war effort so um like i said happy 4th uh, i know we had a great time did some definitely American style things. We ate some steak and drank some beer and watched some fireworks. <laughs> Funny side note, we were at dinner with some friends and looked around the table and only one person was drinking an American beer. <laughs> Everybody else, like I think I was drinking a Foster's and, and my wife was drinking a Stella and then uh, our friends, one of our friends was drinking a margarita. So, you know, we, we were not representing the American alcohol family very well, but, um, uh, we we had a great time with with friends and family, and I uh, hope everybody had a wonderful fourth. And hope you enjoyed the podcast. So we will talk to you soon. Oh, also, if uh, if you haven't already, maybe check out the book. Um, like I said, my first novel, Providence, Athleta Christie, is on sale. It's on Amazon. Uh, you can get an ebook. you can get a paperback, whatever. It's also on iBooks and Smashwords and CreateSpace and pretty much anywhere you can find a, uh, a book online these days, but Amazon's usually the easiest. So if you've got some time, if you uh, feel so inclined, check it out. You, there's a free sample that you can read and see if you like the book before you purchase it. And I always do that. So hopefully you dig it. And if you like the podcast, You know, go ahead and give me a a review. Tell me what you think. If you got some suggestions, I'd be happy to hear them. So, thank you very much and look forward to talking to you. Take care. Bye.